call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 82 of Call It Friend of the podcast, where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Richie, my co-host, Donna Katirnan, watched two films by Australian director Peter Weir, 1975's Picnic at Hanging Rock and 2003's Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. At the time of recording, Picnic at Hanging Rock is on YouTube for free. You can find us on Instagram at Call of Friendo Podcast. Drop us a line there if any feedback or recommendations. Peace. Live. Live as fuck. What about you? Yeah, live from the Apollo Creed. Have you ever even seen any of the Creed movies? No. They star the guy from The Office, right? Which guy from The Office? Creed, Creed Bratton, Who's U.S. Creed? Office. Never I mind. don't watch the U.S. Office. I've never seen an episode. <laughs> I, I only like the Ricky Gervais one. That's yeah, yeah, the, I'm too precious. Like and everyone, one. like, the more people say it to me, it's actually really good, the more I'm like, I'm never watching it. <laughs> never in a million yeah, years. Yeah, just save it. It's definitely not going to age horribly. You should just leave it for another 20 years. Do you think it could possibly age horribly? Well, it's already in trouble, I think. There's what? Some controversial, there's some controversial elements. Oh, well, you keep up with the internet in a way I do not. Why? What happened? Ah, I don't know. If you haven't watched it, it's too much to go into. Forget about it. Oh, you can imagine. I turned off my screen by accident. I um, saw that. No, um, what happens? Oh, uh, no, it's just it's like there's certain jokes that are now frowned upon, that type of thing. Ah, okay. Just is that, it, just is that it, old chestnut. Is it, is it something about that fella Craig Robinson? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he says all, all manner of nasty things. It's Wasn't like, Patrice O'Neill in that show? He was, no, he, he was, and then he quit. Oh, was oh right, he yeah. He quit yeah. because he was like, I can't handle, what's the name of the guy who plays Ryan? He's a stand-up comedian. I can't think of him. He was um, BJ Novak. He was like, I just I just couldn't handle being on set and having BJ Novak looking at me like, ugh. Because he was just like, this, because obviously, you know, he thought he's way better than BJ Novak. I mean, he was. He was like, I know he was, but, you know, so, but anyway, he torpedoed his whole career. He did, yeah. There was one of the one of the more interesting interviews you'll ever hear with Patrice O'Neill is, I mean, I think it's only a year or two before he died. Uh, Chris Rock goes on the Open and Anthony show and kind of um, school like because he apparently auditioned for the part that um, Power that fella got the father of Chris Rock in Everybody Hates Chris, whoever, uh, whatever oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Terry Crews. I know you're talking. Terry Crews. Yeah, Terry yeah. Crews, yeah, yeah. And apparently Patrice auditioned for it and did really well, but the producers just got a sense of the fact that he wouldn't work well with them, uh, that he would just be a bit of a dick. And kind of Chris Rock sort of like <laughs> gives him this odd schooling on how you need to behave in show business. And it's just like for anybody who's a fan of Patrice O'Neill knows that Patrice O'Neill starts doing that, then you take away what's so great about Patrice O'Neill. It's just this, you even see it in the documentary, like every second, I think it's called Better Than You, actually, I think is the name of the documentary. It just every second story is, it just reinforces his reputation as just a, a an impossible person to work with. He was a, a real maverick, much like ourselves. Indeed, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, enemy of the show, John Spillane, who I saw last night. You saw Johnny last night? I did, yeah. I was with uh, some other enemies of the show. 
Luke McGinsky, the Italian Jew with gout, and uh, Noel Sheehan. Noel, and, uh, Noel's yes. over in Edinburgh, is he? What's he up to? He was, yeah. I think he's gone away today. He was doing, he was doing spots as well. He was on John Spillane's show. John Spillane, who you might remember, longtime listeners, from the episode where we talked about spring. That's right. It wasn't great. Well, I didn't like it much. The lady was hot, though. No, but yeah, anyway, it was good to see old, uh, old Mr. Spillane. And before that, me and Luke, uh, we went to, to see JDR, my best friend, J.D. Shapiro. <laughs> oh, you went to the J.D. Shapiro show. Oh. Yeah, we got comped. We got, I got two comps for my best nice. friend. For, for, for just saying, I'm interested in who you are. <laughs> Thank you, sir. May I have another? Yeah, that's, that's the extent of it, yeah. But he's my best friend now, yes. And uh, is his show good? Yeah. <laughs> wholehearted no no he's, he's good he's, 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 he had some nice stories he used to work with stan lee he used to he wrote with stan lee for years and years and he had some nice clips of that like wrote comics i assume so i don't know what or unless they were writing like love notes to each other uh but that's cool that i'll i'll shappy give you give you um two passes did you pitch the the podcast to him yet? Is he coming on the pod? <laughs> no, not yet. I'm building up to. No, I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would love to. I'm sure he would love to. Sweet. But yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll catch up with old uh, Jake Shapiro. I know his first name now. And how was first John- name basis. How was Johnny's show? Excellent. But it was a. It's a. It was a compilation. I think now he's doing a solo show because he took on the space. He's not in the fringe guide or anything because he took over someone else's slot. He loves getting in and around other people's slots. And so he he did it as a compilation yesterday, but it's gonna and it was good. I mean, he hosted, and then he brought up three people. Uh, what's his name? Eddie Malarkey, mm. Noel Sheehan, uh, Tar- a lady called Taryn Edgerton. That's correct. A lady called Taryn Edgerton from Rocket Man and stuff. Yeah, he was there as a lady. It was good. Well, it sounds like it you had a busy show. week. Yeah, and it was a free show, so the price was just right. And uh, did you donate? It was a free show. Oh, you cheap fuck. <laughs> I don't understand what you mean. I got, I get comps. I'm Mr. Comp. Man, I, I never, yourself. like, I only, like, I never donated at the free shows of people I knew. And um, I just remember my sister used to give us so much and she went twice. It was like, ah, oh, dude, this is awesome. Well, I, told, <laughs> I told John that I would bring more people, so. And I, did and you? we're publicizing his show. It's great. Go. Go watch John's plan. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, won't. Bring, I'll, I'll, well, I'll go back because it because it's different every night. Um, was you it, can see him sexually abuse people in different ways each. Was night. it odd and dangerous? It was. Yeah, definitely. It was a tiny room. It's a very very small room, and we were right all everyone all on top of each other. Where it is great it? Fun. It's in uh, the City Cafe on Blair Street. Our I know. Stomping it. ground. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a good good locale. No, it is. That's where Stephen uh, Carlin was when we saw him. Mm-hmm. It's a different room. This, this is this is ostensibly a karaoke room, a karaoke booth you could call it, which has been fashioned into a fringe venue. Well, good for them. But it's great fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I would love to um, see John up to his old tricks. Did I send you that video of him doing Noel Christmas? Yeah, you did. Yep, that was a lot of fun on 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 Irish TV. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be on Irish TV. Um, I think yep. it's. It's very 
good to kind of capture his essence. Not even the later bit, just the part where he, which it turns out is a plant. Spoilers for anybody but who's that's listening. A, I mean, that's that's the most obvious plant ever. It's just the reaction of the guy. No, 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 like, no, no. no. Right. But before you see the guy is what I'm talking about. The oh, stuff, okay. the stuff he's saying to him. Like I've heard John yeah. say stuff that yeah, vicious. Yeah, that's true. That's like true. when he's like, "Yo, this is this is my." Ball slapping off your girlfriend's arse. I've heard John say things like that and gone, yeah. Jesus Christ, if he hits him, it's okay. Yeah. Um, I, I remember one time, actually, and we'll get on to movies right away. Uh, I remember when we were doing uh, our own show, we were kind of getting, like, we were, get, I don't know, a bit tired of everything. We were just sitting outside the door at this point, And you and me just heard John just going nuts inside. And we were both kind of thinking, has something actually gone down here? <laughs> Because we, because I suppose we hadn't done the mathematics that he was basically taking a wrestling format to a comedy show. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. God bless him. I do love yeah. to see him live. Anyway, but you found a uh, time to watch two. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. Two awesome movies. Two films. Two movies. You didn't think they were both awesome? No. I mean, I liked one more than the other. I like one, and I love the other. Please tell me you love Master and Commander, at least. Obviously. Oh, Come dude, on. what a movie! <laughs> I love it so much! It's a movie A movie for the boys. Oh, movie what a movie lads. for the boys! It's like adventure and friendship. It's That's just guy catnip. <laughs> <laughs> but let's go through the girl one first. Let's go through the girl one that you picked. I loved it. It's the second time I've seen it, and I actually thought I was getting bored like in the first 20 minutes, and then... When things start getting spooky, I felt they actually do get effectively spooky. I think it's a spooky movie. I mean, it, was, it supposedly was a, had a big influence on Damon Lindelof for The Leftovers Season 3. That makes a lot of sense. And I can see that because like, the mystery is never resolved and it's not even really important to an extent. I mean, it no. is. They're like, trying to find, the, the, find these girls and the missing lady, but it's, everything, it's everyone else dealing with it that's the more important stuff. It to- totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the big thing that strums it along for me is the. It's all about Victorian culture. I felt. I felt there's. Yeah, a, you see pictures of Queen Victoria everywhere. Do you? God rest her. Yeah, she's up on the wall and stuff. Uh, maybe you don't recognize her. She's not important to you. No, I'm not able to. Say, I've. It's a blind spot for me. It's. it's I. Th- I saw loads of uh, gray fra- f- frames, picture frames, just with gray in them. <laughs> it's nothing. Um, no, I didn't notice that. I was too focused on the symbolism of swans in the film, Andy, oh, uh, wow. which I noticed that a lot that of. Went over my head. Actually, um, we can give our theories on what the film's about now or later. What do you want to do? Picnics. You think it's about picnics? <laughs> Fuck you. You're not, uh, so I have to be the one who's pretentious outside. first. Fine, I'll be pretentious first. No, I mean, first. okay, it's, it's about the, the, the European settlers, white European settlers arriving in a foreign land and not understanding the mystical traditions of the Aboriginal people. I think there's a bit of that in it, but I think also... And you can see this with the uh, sexy Jackie Weaver and her um, working class sex relationship with the the, oh, yeah. the She's dude. In bed with the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that it's kind of also about like the unnatural puritism of like Victorian society because you do get a lot of that in the film. Like, like even when the working class guy who's like checking out the girls, who's my favorite character in the movie, by the way, uh, the guy who gives the, gives the tough beer. <laughs> I love it. That's a fast show sketch, isn't it? It's a yeah, fast because, show. Yeah. 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 
Like, what's the name of that sketch where the uh, the posh guy's in love Ted with the groundskeeper? And, uh, yeah, yeah. Ted and something. Yeah, yeah. Jack it's, and Ted or something. Ja- it's Jack and Ted or whatever. But anybody who yeah. knows the fast show will know exactly. It's one of the best sketches. Yeah. It's uh, f- fabulously awkward and brilliant. Um, <laughs> but that's in this movie. That's totally yeah. them. Uh, like, the Toph is in love with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but well, He saves but, his life at the end. Yes, he does. Uh, it's quite moving, actually. Um, but no, when yeah. he's like, when they're checking out the ladies crossing the stream, the working class guy is like, eh, that's a bit of all right, isn't it? And the guy's like, I really wish you wouldn't talk you wouldn't like that. that. Um, but also, th- uh, you might have noticed that this film has one of my favorite all-time film tropes. Did you spot it? Well, like bullying. There's no, no, there's not too much bullying. There's a little no, bit. No, I, I guess it's just a little bit. I mean, that girl Sarah is having a hard, hard time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's no, no, no. Hard old time. Okay, so who are the four girls who go up the mountain? Oh yeah, <laughs> not even the mountain wanted the fatty. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Spat they, her back out. They, yeah, yeah. They That's got a harsh. fat fatty, and That's the mountain so doesn't want her. <laughs> the, whatever it was, the rift in the space-time continuum was and about five seconds. Maybe gonna die. About five seconds before the credit rolls, the last thing you see is a slow motion of her eating a bun. <laughs> <laughs> That was very harsh because previously when the two guys were commenting on the girls, it was like oh, the yeah, dumpy one, that dumpy one at the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not, Although the not dumpy one was going to have a swim. <laughs> <laughs> and even when he's being questioned by the police, he's like going, "Yes, the dumpy one was a bit, a bit behind." <laughs> I mean, it was nineteen hundred. It was a different time. She yeah, wasn't celebrated yeah, 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 yeah. for her choices and her. She should be body positive. Yeah, she, be, she was fat shamed by like a mystical mountain. Oh That's man, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I also love the fact that the, when they're leaving to go up the mountain, they go, and don't complain. And she just complains. She's so <laughs> annoying. She's yeah, as she's annoying as Angus McLeod in the yeah, City of Zed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she's just such a drag. These guys are like, all right, mountain god, show me what you got. But yeah, I think no, it's... having none of it. I think it's kind of something like um, how unnatural that sort of uh, puritanism is and um, I think also that figures into the fact that the teacher goes missing because she's like a more sort of a curious person she's clearly educated Mm -hmm. she's thinking outside of Christianity because she's acknowledging how old the rocks are Mm -hmm. Um, and she's uh, running up the hill in her pants yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that's right in her bloomers And actually, and a, to a, whisper that she's in her drawers. Victorian her drawers. silence is a, is a, is another big thing because it's like like you're talking about a society that they covered. They used to cover the legs of their sofa in lace, and the motivation behind this was because seeing it would make you think of the word leg. This is true. I'm not making this up. They were so uptight about this kind of thing. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's gross. Uh, particularly back then, before toothpaste. Who's gonna have sex with one of those fucking losers? But no, um, basically what I'm saying I think, is... But I think some of that is like, some of that is not even just the time period, but like all girls boarding schools, <laughs> I think even now probably have some of that going on. Yeah. Just, uh, I don't know. Like Victoria, it's, it's Victorian horniness must have, been, must have been very tough going. Right. Because there's clearly... caused this, no doubt. That's there's clearly... The stop. A bit of horniness going on in the movie because, um, you know, the girl who comes back in the end, Irma? Irma, yeah. She's a bit of a slag. Why? I mean, there's she, that one scene where she's wearing her red dress and she goes... Well, no, that's when she comes back in the lesson. end and that's yeah, sim- yeah, yeah, that's yeah, symbolic yeah. too. But no, yeah. I'm talking about um, where she is... 
she's talking to one of the girls says she does something in the bath. She like sings in the bath. And then she asks the old um, groundskeeper or the guy who drove them there, the coach driver, do you like to do that in the bath too? Because she's clearly like going, mm-hmm. you, you want to fuck all of us right now, don't you? But, you know, it's the Victorian way of saying it, basically. Uh, and she gets spat back out, like, you know, because she gets call, uh, called a slag by the mountain, essentially. Oh, she <laughs> thinks she wasn't innocent enough. Something like that. that. The, yeah, yeah. A lot of the casting of this film, like a lot of the the uh, the young females are dubbed over because they were cast for their looks. So there's like there's a lot of dubbing. Is that the reason the dub? Yes, they ah. were they were terrible actors. Huh. That's interesting. I'll tell you one thing. I mean, despite how seemingly unrelated they might be, to assess what a talented filmmaker Peter Weir is you couldn't have picked two better films. Maybe you could throw in the Truman Show for the trilogy. Um, but like, they're so different and stylistically so different. And I think they both, they achieve like exactly sort of what they're going for. Like this film is so odd and mysterious. It's odd for moment one. The opening reminded me of like a gear of the wrath of God or something. Mm. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. and the music is so effective. Yeah, like, it has that kind of dreamlike quality. Apparently, the cinematographer put bridal veils over the camera lenses to get this sort of dreamy effect. Well, that's a bit lame, considering you know what they're at. He could, probably, could have probably just used a lens, but he's like he wanted the <laughs> virginal <laughs> symbolism. Yeah, 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 yeah. But still, I mean, the score—the score completely overpowers you in parts. Like mm. when you just go, like. There's something odd and unexplained here. And yeah, I can see how it might have influenced Lindelof a lot because the power is in the unexplained in it. These are the third and fourth Peter Weir films that we've watched for the podcast because we also watched Year of Living Dangerously in the Mosquito Coast. Mm. If you had to guess by IMDb rating, what do you think his top five is? Oh, okay. Uh, I'd I'd imagine The Truman Show gets number one. That's correct. 8.2. I'd imagine Dead Poets get number two. That's right, 8.1. I'd imagine, I hope, Master and Commander gets number three, even though I'd put it number one. That's right, it's 7.4. It's tied with three other films, at a rating of 7.4, but it's it's ranked number three. I mean, that would totally be my number one, I just got to say that, just to, just for, <laughs> to be clear for everyone. Spoilers for and, that. Uh, I think, I suppose, uh, immediately after, well, Joint would be probably this. Yep. And Mosquito Coast, no? No, Witness. Oh, yeah, of course. Witness is highly acclaimed. I've never seen Witness. Mm. I've seen Witness a long, long time ago. It's just about the Amish. It's Harrison o- Ford. It's odd because it's like, okay, so with Picnic at Hanging Rock, he's a young director, so he's stepping more forward stylistically and showing off a little bit, very effectively. But him as a director in Master and Commander is effective for his stepping back but you can still see that there's a lot of stuff that he does in that film that directors in other types of films do not do this is why i think it's because it's a perfect sign of his um maturation as a director really that i don't know like he's clearly showing off in bits of picnic at hanging rock yeah but i i think it's effective like what um I think the like the use of the soundtrack is is certainly mm. showing off in parts. Um I think um let's see. Oh yeah, like the the lighting the way they present the French lady having dinner with the schoolmistress near the end of it. Um and I I also think that's uh, works really well for the commentary on like 
Victorian society because she keeps talking about like going on holidays in Bournemouth and how everything used to be so dependable, which is very much Brexit. Yeah, exactly. It's very much Victorian slash, you know, the new world sort of thinking. Like, you know, they're getting into the wild. A certain type of society is ending. Um, yeah. Um, I thought, uh, and like, also there is, which I'm sure comes from the book, actually. I've never read the book. I've heard it's very good. But like, uh, for example, the old man showing um, Jackie Weaver's lover how the plants move by themselves and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Things have a life of their own. I thought that was something. One thing, and now this isn't to do with uh, um, Peter Weir showing off. Uh, one thing I thought is great is, um, I don't know why this struck me as great, because there's lots of other things in the movie like this, but when your one remembers that she had, wo- that when... the Irma came back, her corset was missing. And the mother of the house says, no, we're not going to tell the police officer that. I thought that was just, <laughs> I really liked that as a moment because you're just kind of like, yeah, of course, you're completely not clued in to anything. And that's what it feels like. Like even in the scene where you see the old Victorian couple with their nephew who has had too much cake. No, no, I'm a bit full. I've had too much cake. <laughs> so, so, so <laughs> you want to punch him. Like as a, <laughs> as a 21st century Irish man with a beard, I wanted to put on a balaclava and beat him with a bat. But anyway, um, no, but like, you know what I'm saying? You're just looking at them sitting there and you're just like, you don't belong. This is not the way it is. I, I think guess it, it was in 1900 outside Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah, is it outside Melbourne? I, I Yeah, it's a place called Mount Macedon. There's uh there is a real hanging rock. It's a real place and there's a there's a picnic yes, at I hanging know that. rock every year. That's where cool. People go all dressed up in 1900s gear and have a picnic and probably but drink, you know. I'll tell you, cans of Fosters. Probably drink ten cans of Fosters (laughs) and get into into a fight, and then kick the shit out of the out of the mountain, (laughs) out of everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What I'll tell you, another thing I picked up in the film that I thought was showing off slash maybe in the book, probably in the book, is um, swans. Now I haven't looked this up, but surely swans were introduced to Australia. There's no way they're native to there. Uh, They're actually the there. They were there first. Before everything, swans. Before the Aborigines, yes, before swans. macadamia nuts and everything. <laughs> before, yeah, it was also it was a swan-controlled land for a long time. That's factual. I'm all not going to look it up either. Yeah, yeah, and for the first like thousand years, all the Aborigines yeah. had had broken arms. Yeah, swan attacks. Yeah, yeah. I swan. think that's that's fake news about swans. They never attacked anyone. That's nonsense. Anyway. Uh, there's an Adrian Mole book, I think it's the Cappuccino Years, where uh, near the end of the book, a swan breaks his arm. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. If Sue Townsend says it. It's true. There you go, there you go. Uh, this, so- this film was successful. It was a success. Yeah, so the, 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 the novel was written by Joan Lindsay, published in 1967. It's deemed a classic. It's taught in school. Yeah, yeah, so I've heard that. It's, it's, it's revered, but there was a final chapter published uh, after her death which explained the mystery what yeah what's the mystery in the, in, in the words of uh the theme tune to the leftovers you should just i think you should just let the mystery be what's the uh what's the resolution of it it yeah. was that everybody basic- is wondering when and where we all came <laughs> yeah. from sorry i had to do that yeah <laughs> love that song 
<laughs> apparent so what happens is they go up the those the is it like it's two girls in the end two girls and the and and the lady uh go up and their corset their corsets come off they do come off <laughs> i'm not making this up this is real and their and their corsets are floating in the air and it's just that they're in some sort of time warp interdimensional it's very leftoversy actually similar huh. thing in terms of spoilers for the leftovers but what suggested what what Nora suggests happened that they were transported to like another like alternate version much, of the earth it's that kind of thing much like uh, the actual ending in the leftovers you were i was happy to find that out but also realized uh, how little it matters to the story i actually cared about so that's cool well okay if we're going to discuss the leftovers spoilers for the leftovers here but she didn't go to the other place we are I mean, we're on board with that, right? That she didn't actually go. To, she was lying. She didn't get into the machine. Well, she got into the machine, but they never switched it on. What? She never went. She didn't get. She wasn't transported to the other place. How do you know this? I thought I. I it's just like it, that's the accepted. Okay, we're into full leftovers because that's the accepted theory on the leftovers. I mean, it's up to you. It's your decision. But I'm going to say the majority of people accept that she. They. She. There's a little cut. When she's in the machine and she, and it's just before she says stop, she tells them to stop. And then she's invented this whole narrative of she went to the other side and she saw her kids and they were happy in the other place. So she decided to come back. But why would she I make mean, logically, that up? No, logically, logically, I believe mine. Why? She found a scientist when she was in the, in the alternate dimension place who, who was able to transport her back. Yeah. No, no. No, I believe it. in the no, 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 no. I, I disagree. I, I believe I, I, in the bear, Well, I will, t- I will I certainly rewatch the lesto- leftovers. I think it's one of the best shows ever. But I think she actually did. Okay, fair enough. Let's. Uh, let, I, I, I wish I could agree with you, but I can't because then we'd both be wrong. I, I wonder what the Wikipedia page would say of the leftovers. I think, uh, I think let it the would mystery be <laughs> maybe. But I, it's, I it says in capital letters, bold. I do I think she mind. went to the other place. And well, I think yeah. I think she you didn't have your opinion. I think she didn't hunt down Kevin when she got back because she assumed he'd have moved on with his life. I'm a romantic. We need we need to talk about Kevin. Uh, we do. What a great film. <laughs> okay, we're getting back to Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yes, we must. Um yeah. you so weren't you as hot on it uh, as me. Um No, I liked it. I mean I liked it. I think it does. It has. I can see the again. I can see the effect or the influence on people like Sofia Coppola. It has that dreamlike quality that well, some of her mean, films have. Well, I mean, if if if, if, if the pe- if the people who didn't who loved the Virgin Suicides uh, hadn't mm. seen this, Sofia Coppola got off lightly. I would say because it's yeah yeah yeah. It's very much in that vein. Um. Anyway, yeah. Tell me something about the cast. Well, we've got some uh, we've got some classics here. Rachel Roberts, friend of the show, Rachel Roberts. She played Mrs. Appleyard. Uh, she won BAFTAs for her roles in Saturday Night, Sunday Morning, and The Sporting Life. And she was married to Rex Harrison, Doctor Doolittle, hmm. old man Rex Harrison from 1962 to 1971. She was an alcoholic. Here's a, a, a nice little clip from her uh, Wikipedia. Here, let's clip this. Roberts was known in the entertainment industry for the eccentric behavior that stemmed from her alcoholism. She had a habit of imitating a Welsh corgi when intoxicated, and once at a party thrown by your dad, Richard Harris, 
She attacked actor Robert Mitchum on all fours, chewing his trousers and chomping on his bare skin. Good God. So she never got so she never got sober sober at any point then, I take it. Nah, nah, nah. At the time of her of her death, Roberts was living on and off with Darren Ramirez. That's a good name, Darren Ramirez, an attractive Mexican. This is in his Wikipedia. An attractive Mexican, almost twenty years younger. But it was a largely platonic relationship, and her last years were plagued by the obsession of winning back Harrison. She committed suicide in 1980 at age 53 by ingesting a caustic alkali and taking barbiturates, dying almost immediately. High as fuck, I'd imagine. Yeah, but she loved old Rex Harrison and uh, alcohol equally. And, Fair and being play. a corgi. I have to say... She could um, hang out with the queen. One of the two moments in this movie that I went, uh, hell yeah. That's the thing I'm planning to introduce. Is there any moment I went, hell yeah? Uh, mm. Even though Master and Commander would be probably too many, but... Um, it's a lot of hell yeahs, yeah. There's a, yeah, when she like uh, is just kind of building up to uh, basically kicking Sarah out of the orphanage, out of the school, uh, she... She takes a glass out of her desk and there's a bottle of whiskey there or something <laughs> like that. And I went, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might have been the teacher in me or something like that. I was like, it's yeah. hard times for that lady. Hell Mrs. yeah. Appleyard. Do your thing. When we get to the, the plot, we can talk about that because there's some suggestion that she murdered Sarah. Is that uh, your take on it? No, I don't, no, no, no. I, I, I took Sarah as a suicide. But then again, but we like, disagree on some fundamental things about right. f- stories of this type. Can you guess what uh, my other hell yeah moment was? Uh, well, apart from the two boys talking about the, the ladies. That's not quite a hell yeah, but I was in their camp. <laughs> um, the guy trying to tempt the Victorian fella not to be gay, just going, uh, <laughs> she, uh, I bet she's got nice legs, ain't she? With his horrible fake what, tattoos. What was the other hell yeah? Uh, the oh yeah, other, that's what's with the tattoos. That was weird. The other hell yeah is when the French lady slaps fat Edith in the face when, oh, um, yeah, yeah. I was like, yes, someone slap Edith for the love of God. Like, okay, I do enjoy the trope of fat baddie just because it's kind of become forbidden fruit. And there is a certain amount of truth to it. That's why Cartman's such a great character. But especially with Edith, she was such a horrifically annoying character. Someone to slap her in the face was a real hell yeah, yeah. for me. It's a, it's a rough one. Again, it's like these are these were not professional actresses, the majority of them. So their acting is not only are the characters kind of like annoying, but they're poorly acted, which doesn't help. Irma was, like, I know this now that you've told me, obviously, but I think uh, Irma was a particularly bad actor. I thought she was horrible whenever she was on screen. Yeah just practically looking at the screen like it was awful. Yeah. I don't have much to say about them cast-wise, the majority. The lady who played... uh, One second. Yeah, the girl who played Miranda and Louise Lambert, she was in Somersault as well, but as a character, I don't even know Martha in Somersault. I don't even know who that is, but good to see that she she hasn't gone on to a lot. None of them have gone on to a lot. It's mostly the adults who've gone on to do a lot of stuff, such as friend of the show Vivian Grey, who played Mrs. Greta McGraw. Australian legend from TV. She was in The Sullivans and Prisoner Cell Block H, which were both aired in the UK. I don't know if you ever... I remember the Sullivans no, being on but TV I've heard, when I was a kid. I've heard Prisoner of Cell Block H. I've heard of Prisoner Cell Block H. It's a very famous women's prison drama, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so she was pretty in that, but, she, but, she, but she's best known probably as being... She was Mrs. Mangle from Neighbours. That must be before your time. 1986 to 1988. I remember that. Yeah, definitely lot. before my time. Yeah, she was like and she I was did a watch huge Neighbors. character in that. She was a huge character in that, but she had to quit the show because people were giving her stick in the street because they they disliked her character so much. Yeah, 
That sucks. So she ended up moving back to the UK and then died. She's English, is she? 96. Yeah, she was born in Cleethorpes or somewhere. And she she's dead now. She is dead. She is dead now. You can relax. She died in 2016 in Sussex. All right. Well, in that case, what an old bag. I hated her. No, no, no. no. I'm only she's great. She, I wasn't she's asking that for, for... I actually enjoyed her weird little vignette uh, when they're on their way out there. And she mm-hmm. corrects the guy about... That was the kind of first inkling I got of... Because uh, I did remember... It was in that... In, I saw this film a couple of years ago for the first time. It was in that instant when they were... Um, Riding out there in the cart, that I remembered. Oh yeah, she gets taken as well. And then yeah, I, you don't she, see much of that. There's not. A, they don't make a huge deal of that. I mean, obviously no, she's no, less no. Important which is kids, why but. you need to pay like attention to her dialogue with mm-hmm. the guy, which is basically. I hope I don't get kidnapped by a mountain. <laughs> well, no, she's kind of rejecting Victorian Christian tradition. She's basically saying, "Yeah, the world is millions and millions of years old, and um, we don't understand anything." Lies. 10,000 years at tops. I agree. I don't believe Final person, uh, final cast member, uh, you mentioned already, Jackie Weaver, who played Minnie. She had a huge resurgence off of the back of David Mychode's Animal Kingdom. Yes. She uh, went on, she was a in great film, which you still haven't seen, am I right? Still haven't seen it. Still haven't Absolutely seen it. excellent. In, what a movie. Now she's in uh, Taylor Sheridan's Yellowstone. I saw a trailer for that TV series the other day. Came up somewhere for season four. Yeah, she's in it with it Kevi, Ke, with Kevin Cozzi's. Kevin Kevin Cotton Yeah, Kevin yeah, yeah. Kostner. I keep meaning to get around to that because it's so my bag. It, it, yeah, but it at the same, like it looks like there's a lot of action in it, at least by now. And it, yeah, I heard it like it's set in the seventies, as far as I know, which is good. Mm. And because when I remember when it came out and it was getting acclaimed and super popular, I remember thinking, "This looks like." Empire. Do you remember the show Empire for? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I remember like it was like a, a hour long soap <laughs> opera for black people basically. Okay. Um, and I remember thinking this is like this is Empire for Hicks, isn't it? This is what this is. <laughs> but I don't know why the Taylor Sheridan. Come on now. I should have had better faith. Yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. No, no, no. I agree. I agree. Sicario, Wind River, and Heller High Water, and Kevin Costner. I'm a big I'm a big Kevin Costner guy. Yeah. And plus Robin Jackie Hood. Weaver. <laughs> Jackie Weaver, Jackie I have Weaver, Animal Kingdom. Uh, well, no, I've seen another one of her films, which I immediately remember when I was watching this this time around, because uh, she appears and she's in the bed with her fella, and I was like, "Man, I've seen this lady naked and something." Um, <laughs> and then I looked up, I googled, obviously, I was like, "Jackie Weaver naked," and yeah, it's this film that. Uh, randomly, we had a DVD of in my house in college uh, called Alvin Purple. It's this mad Australian movie, right? It's about this guy who is basically older women just find him irresistible and just just strip off and want to shag him, and uh, he just can't keep up with it. And now that's the- even older than uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. It's nineteen seventy three. Yeah, yeah, and she's she gets lads out in it, like, and 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 Bush out, all all out. Purple is Alvin Purple is a sex farce, which yeah. follows the misadventures of a naive young Melbourne man named Alvin Purple. Yeah, um, whom, whom women find irresistible. Exactly, and he gets knackered, and he ends up marrying a nun, and then working in the gardens of the convent. But he doesn't she marry plays the, the nun. role of second Sorry. sugar girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, he just arrives in a room and she's like full on nudie. And I it, like the only reason I remembered it is just because I watched it a lot when we were in college because it was the kind of film where people would come around to our house and we would be like, you've got to see this fucking mad movie. <laughs> but yeah, Alvin Purple, that's where I remember her first from. Quality. Yeah. Well, that's what we're watching next week. <laughs> is it up for the toss? So you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Care to dance through the plot or should I? Yeah, well, we, I mean, what are we going to say? There's a, there's a private school. It's so, a yeah. Victorian boarding school. There's a big uh, Victorian ladies boarding Wait school. Wait a minute, it's called Apple Yard College. That's the name of the school. Yeah, so yeah. Is she the owner or something? Yeah, yeah, she's supposed to be the owner. So they're all off for this picnic, but this one lady and this one lesbian teacher can't go. The lady can't go because she's an or- she's an orphan basically, and she hasn't got the what, money. What is that? Why? What is that? What that is? Why is Sarah just? Is Sarah's just so the orphan girl is getting bullied the entire time? I don't is know. That she, just because I didn't she's get the sense she's being bullied by the other girls, but by the teachers. No, but I mean she's been bullied by the yeah, like I mean she's treated really poorly by the staff in comparison to like literally everyone else. I think so. It's Victorian stuff, like... I guess. So, yeah, it's class-based, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. That's all it is. She's considered to be from, like, a lower social class, because, as you said, she's an orphan, and, and she she was in an orphanage before. And she lives... Uh, well, she bunks with um, this girl who's basically like an angel. And yeah, then Miranda. And then there's Very this... Very angelic. There's this other blonde lady who's, like, a nerd. And then there's um, Irma, who's a bit of a slag... And uh, Fat Baddy um, Etna. Edith. Edith. Edith, yeah. Who was my favourite character in the entire film. Um, <laughs> I love the fact that the mountain rejected her. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, they all head off for this day trip to this place called Hanging Rock. They're on their way there. The teacher who's with them starts correcting the coach driver. He says the place is a thousand years old. She says, no, it's fucking, it's young and it's a million. It's like extremely old. She's aware of how old the earth is. They go up there and start camping. And even though on the way there, they're warned, hey, no tomboy tomfoolery. You stay at the camp. Like they're there for a little bit. And then basically the girl, girls decide to go off yeah, and yeah. explore up there. The four girls we've just we've talked about. And, and there's all that stuff with the watches are stopping at the stroke of 12. Yeah, yeah, that's Which right. Which allegedly that's got something to do with like Joan Lindsay, the author. Apparently, she used to stop watches frequently. Huh? She had some sort of like Yuri Geller type power of uh, of making watches stop when they were near her because she was magnetic or something. So that's oh, yeah. where that comes from. Uh, and the, the the whole the, there was a whole like the whole story around the book and the film is that during Joan Lindsay's life, she wouldn't people would always ask her like, oh, is this a true story? Is this something Oh yeah, really yeah, happened? I read this. She yeah. went to a private school when she was younger, like this type of boarding school. And she was like, ah, ah, maybe. But no, it was completely fictional. Fair play. Sorry. And then down the slope, there's the, the most Victorian couple in the world with their nephew, the most Victorian man in the world. And then their rough housing, Aka, like Australian driver who's been in an orphanage. And then yeah. basically, uh, the aunt and uncle are like, oh, I've eaten too much cake. So your man wanders off and hangs out with the driver and they kind of have a good friendship. I like that part of the movie. I liked uh, any scenes they had together. I actually kind of bought it. Um, yeah. And um, they're just swigging beer together, smoking fags. And then the four girls come along. 
First of all, Edith just embarrasses herself by being a fat mess and almost falling into the river. But the other girls are so graceful. And he's like, ooh, that lady's like an hourglass. Ooh, I'd like to see her legs. And yeah, um, Her legs the, go all the way up to her bum, I remember, he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, the Victorian guy is like, I do wish you wouldn't be so vulgar. But anyway, the girls continue wandering up the mountain and uh, then uh, Fat Batty Edith starts complaining. Like, they warned her not to, but she starts anyway. And then... They all collapse. Yeah, yeah. They, they all, like, kind of just go for a little sleepy times. Right up at the top of the mountain. And then yeah. next thing Edith knows, they're all getting up and walking into this crevice. Yeah. And then she's losing her mind. And this is the first part of the film that's properly chilling. The soundtrack just sort of takes over and she's running along screaming. And I did genuinely, I found it quite chilling. I was like, it was convincing that something supernatural that's not in our supernatural books, like it's not vampires or ghosts or anything. There's something odd happening and there's no way to explain it. I thought it was good to see her running. It's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> But then anyway. there's that, I mean, I think all of that around, so just the next little part there, it's stuff that we don't see. It's just, we're told in terms of people giving evidence of what occurred, of that, like, Miss exactly. McCraw went up the hill and was she heard she'd lost her skirt. And that's all very, like, ghost story-like, where you, you're just, you have to take other people's word for it. We, we're, we're not shown any of that. And that's yeah. quite creepy in itself. That's right. And then... Um yeah, the next thing we know, they're back at the school and Miss Appleyard is like worried because where are, is everyone? They arrive back and they're like, well, we had to leave uh, the teacher there because she didn't come Which back. Is, that's pretty bad for business when three students and a, a teacher disappear. Yes, yes. Um, and everybody else makes it back okay. There's investigations, there's questionings, um, but nobody can really solve the mystery. There's some stuff with the police officer and his wife. The wife is like, well, sure, nobody around here would do anything like that. And she's kind of right. Which, again, I think their little story in it expo- exposes more of the theme of class division because she says that nobody around here would do anything like that. And then later in the movie, people are, like, shouting at his house, saying, Oi! Who <laughs> <laughs> done it? Um, <laughs> but anyway, the, the main story we set off on now is actually with... Um, First of all, we we meet Jackie Weaver and her lover, who's like the groundsman or something like that, and she's told to get them all soup. And then next, we see the Victorian lad is just obsessed with finding them, so he convinces the Aussie dr- the Aussie driver uh, to to drive back with him. And it <laughs> is one very um, like I don't know, like homoerotic moment in the movie where they meet up in the morning and he sees that the driver guy has come and he just has this smile on his face. He's like, oh, you've <laughs> come to rescue the girls with me with our different hats. And they ride off anyway. But your man becomes obsessed with it. The fella has to go back because obviously he's got responsibilities, but eventually he has to rescue the guy from the mountain. And just as he's putting him in the like ambulance carriage... Yeah, Michael, but Michael has his good system of he's left like little... Yeah, yeah. He left a little trail... Paper in the trees. The He's been to the Boy Scouts. I'll tell you that. Albert's the uh, Albert's the 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 Aussie the fellow, friend, the, yeah, the the like, uh, the guy who works for the for the family. And yeah, he he finds follows this trail and yeah. finds Michael passed out, looking very like. I actually um, halfway through the film, I was I was convinced it was the lead character, the lead actor from Wake and Fright. But then I realized this film was made three yeah. years after that. Um, yeah. But 
you know, they have that kind of, they look alike anyway. Although the guy who played Albert, John Jarrett, he's the star of Wolf Creek, uh, the, the Wolf Creek series of films. He's the murderer in Wolf Creek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are scary films. Yeah. He's been in multiple, he's, been, he's, he's in all the Wolf Creek films. Any road, your man gets rescued, but just as he puts him in like the horse ambulance, whatever, a Victorian lad shakes hands with him and he gives her like a piece of lacy dress, which is presumably belonging to one of the other girl, one of the girls. So your man runs back up and finds Irma, who's a bit of a slag. Um, I don't mean that in malice, guys. I'm only joking. You're pushing. You're the one who's pushing that narrative. This slag. Well, there is no. There is that one moment where she she very purposefully like says something that would make the coach driver imagine all the teenage girls naked. That's maybe he was just talking. They're just interested in what happens in the bathroom in the bath. I think that's. They were just singing. That's fine. No, she looks at him in a way as well in the scene. It's not accidental. Trust me. Like that, and I think. And that might be related to what happens to her. Anyway, the French lady is awful bad to get Irma back because she relates with Irma because she's French and also a slag. No, that's not fair. I, I apologize <laughs> for that. I apologize. Well, so the, the, French, uh, the French teacher names Mademoiselle de Poitiers. But mm. what she's, she's just a French teacher? Is that her deal? She's, I don't uh, know. That actress is called Helen Morse, by the way. She's English. She's it's faking that effort. accent. She does well. Yeah, she's not French. Um, but I mean, who am I to judge? Anyway, She's um, English slash Australian. They kind of after uh, after what's her chops? Irma gets uh, found. The mystery is sort of given up on, and then it's sort of revealed that the school is failing. And then yeah, because the, all the parents are withdrawing their children after uh, yeah. this horrible thing occurred. And Mrs. Appleyard says she's not doing too well. She's just going to bit depressed. She's going to kick Sarah out of the school, and then, well, for uh, there's a scene we talked about it earlier where Irma comes back. She's all dressed in red because she's like officially not virginal anymore. She's like you know using Baz Luhrmann coloring to right. insinu- insinuate lust or whatever. And all the girls sort of Scarlet Letter. All the girls sort of attack her. Yeah, but they're just asking, like, what, what happened? What happened? What happened? Yeah, it's still nice when Edith gets a slap in the face. I was happy with that. Um, what I like the revelation in the next scene where Albert reveals that Sarah's his sister. Yeah. That's good. That's, that's the kind of thing I like because it's very sad. It's very, oh, it was very sad. I'm going to admit something. I did not pick what? up on that, that that was his sister. <laughs> he's talking, it. yeah, he's talking, because he, he, I think he even says the name Sarah. I feel like such he was a like back when I was ass. in the orphanage. She, he does say Sarah. I can confirm yeah. that. Right, I, I am leftovers theory I'm s- really not looking. Ah uh, no, my leftovers theory <laughs> is right. Maybe oh, I just don't yeah. understand things that happen down under. Maybe that's yeah. what it is. Um, he has a dream about his sister. Whatever. Uh, but so this they- is so. So here's the thing. So like. So then, what happens with Mrs. Appleyard is that she claims that Sarah's guardian came to pick her up. Hmm. And she says that she helped move her. She she says to like she's explaining. I think to the to the French lady, she's explaining that like, oh yeah, Sarah's guardian came and picked her up, and I helped move some of her stuff. And then the next day, <clears throat> the school f- gardener finds Sarah's body. She's she looks like she's thrown herself like from the top of the school into this greenhouse and is dead. Yeah, but there is see- some suggestion based on Appleyard lying and also that she was like super depressed and stuff like that. And then I would I mean, say Mrs. Mrs. Appleyard then kills herself also. I would say that 
she doesn't kill Sarah. She just, she's sugarcoating the situation. But does she know that Sarah's dead? No, I don't think she knows Sarah's dead at that point. So why tell that insane lie of like, oh, Sarah's gone? To sugarcoat it and not make it, not make her <clears throat> herself seem like such a bad person. Because she was going to send her away, but yeah, she hadn't yet. It just seems mad. I mean, she was mad. Anyway, I don't think she murdered her. Herself. And yeah, that ending then. Yeah, yeah. So then she kills herself uh, at Which the base of, of Hanging Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a, a narrator tells us. And everyone lived happily ever after. Good movie. I liked it a lot. A second time I've seen it, but I, I enjoyed it more this time probably. I'd like to visit uh, Hanging Rock. Apparently all the actors went back over the years and went back to the scene of the scene of the crime. I wonder, did Jackie Weaver get the lads out? Quite possibly. She went with David My Chode, maybe. Who's Chode? His Chode. David My Chode. Nice. Anyway, it's no uh, Master and Commander. I feel like you must know a lot about Master and Commander. Oh, I get I'm the sense brimming. that you know everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so arrow. excited to talk about it. Oh, I love it so much. Like, <laughs> I just watched it last night, and, like, again, for yeah, this, obviously. I today. And, uh, I, like, I've seen it at least 10 times. It's at least 10 times. <laughs> and I'm still in it. Like, I'm not bored of it at all. It's so... <laughs> all right, let me get my speech out of the way. Everything I love about it. It's so... Uh, okay, let me start again. Fuck it. It does, from the... From the start point, it does capture what an insane thing it was to be in the British Navy or any Navy before the advent of... Like, it really gets across the fact of how big the world used to be and how nuts it was. Not only, A, to travel around on one of these things, but B, the fact that if you had one of these things that was good enough and efficient enough, you could control entire oceans. Like yeah. it was a technology on the level, like on a craft level. We just think of technology in terms of micro ships, but this film really gets across the fact of how important it was to control the seas and how, how good of seamen you had and how good of boats you had determined what you did with this. You could buy rank in the general British Army. You could not buy rank in the Navy. You could only rise in the Navy by being fucking awesome. And they did have their class system, which is why it's super interesting that they have the young boys there and stuff like that, because that was a real thing. It was just, you know... Yeah, like uh, Lord Lord Blakeney. He was my favorite character, the young boy who loses his arm. It's... Um, He's great. It's a... I've only read the first book in the series on which this is based. This is the film itself is based on about four books. I gather they uh, borrow things from different ones. So much stuff in it, like the level of detail, feels like time travel. the the shake yeah. The shaking dolly shots around the ship with always the low ceiling really puts you there. I've seen. I've mentioned this on this podcast. I've seen this in the cinema three times Mm -hmm. on original release and on re-release twice in Phenomena. I love the fact that the first shots that cannons fire are generally grape shot, which was a big thing in those days. I love like how in a matter of minutes rather like you remember we watched the bounty and we both enjoyed the bounty, but you don't get, I mean, but you can still, you can see the influence of something like that on this. Yeah, I would say, I mean, this is better, I think, but the bounty was a solid film too. I love the bounty. I think it's great. But again, but this communicates in a matter of, of minutes. <clears throat> you get uh, that sense of like sailing around on this real boat. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. Which is the key thing. It's <clears throat> is using like a real boat that was built back in the 1970s. And, um, you know, it's been used in various films. It's been used in one of the Pirates of the Caribbean films and they used it in this. So they were like out on the high seas, genuinely filming on, you know, like a replica boat. I love um, the the fact that in a matter of minutes, the insanity of the situation is communicated. For me, it particularly landed this time, although I've seen it other ways, when... Um, they're first getting attacked and setting up their cannons and one lad, the cursed guy, yells out, courage now, courage men! And they all just get blown away in a second. Like the whole <laughs> whole side of the boat. Like, And it was like that. I love the scenes of mad banter in the fucking, you know, the dinner party the scenes. Lesser, the lesser, the lesser of two evils. evils. Uh, like again, like um, ma- the mad banter. I'm going to walk around with two weevils for the rest of my life. The use of music, the odd sexual tension between Paul Bettany and Russell Crowe, Jurassic Park wonder shots when they get to the Galapagos and he's just looking at things. The Galapagos scenes. For an action-packed movie, the Galapagos scenes are fantastic. They actually went there. They filmed there. They filmed yeah, yeah, the that's right. And the, the Holland story yeah. is wonderful. It's just, I don't know, the smoke in that in the final battle and when the mast collapses. Like, that is so accurate. It's just unbelievable. One thing that bugs me in certain battle scenes when you see it is, like, smoke came near the cannon. Not, the, the balls didn't explode. You know, the balls were just fucking metal. Yeah, the balls through. are, yeah, they're just, they're, they're not like... So many movies fuck that up. Or and bombs or something. Yeah, exactly. They, just, they make, yeah, they make them grenades. They're there to make holes and stuff or to like blow people away in terms the, of, you know, just how heavy they are. Like, as I'm, like, you've referred to me on this podcast before as a boaty man. Like, I, I've ne- I don't know anything about boating, but I find it fascinating, this period of history, where these were basically starships. The world was a big place and they were traveling around a fucking galaxy. And uh, just, yeah, battles used to pause because of too much fucking smoke. It's a real thing that used to happen. They also, yeah, fuck it, I'm still random. But, but I mean, like, they also use the fog to escape. Like, we can see that. Yeah, yeah, which is actually, um, a French ship did that, not an English ship. It's a real thing that happened. A French ship did that. Um, No, sorry, the French, uh, not the fog, the fake boat, a French ship did that. Lanterns on a bunch of bros. Yeah, that's, that's, that's like a solid, there's some, there's some good little, uh, some good little ploys Mm. used throughout. As, as far as like historical fiction goes, even though it's like, well, no, it is historical fiction. Like, it's just, oh, I think it's completely transportative. I can think of, like, n- nothing on its level except maybe, like, maybe Last of the Mohicans, which I also find quite transportative. Yeah, I much prefer this than Last of the Mohicans. Oh, I, I agree. I think this is... If I had to choose. This is probably in my top ten favorite movies, as I'm sure it might be clear by now. I, 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 <laughs> I adore I mean, this, this film. This, this is a great film. I don't think I like it as much as you. I, I is excellent it's very watchable it's fun it's uh it is like we said before it's like the ultimate man 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 film <laughs> just all male characters oh yeah 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 see experience be, be suspicious of any woman who likes this camaraderie movie. <laughs> yeah she's lying like um <laughs> but it's like there is a story but it's mostly like vignettes of like life at sea and like you know the guy when they're all watching him getting his head surgery and 
oh, fantastic that fit. And all like <laughs> genuinely, there is a gay romance between Bettany and Crow that they the that is the actors, un- not the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The actors, not the characters. Which I think actually, the fact that they were fucking each other and blowing each other on set at the time really helped the relationship between Aubrey and Madarin. Madarin, who's supposed to be Catalan, actually, uh, he's Catalan in the books. This is the second film that they were in together. Crow and uh, oh yeah, beautiful mind. Bettany, beautiful mind as well. This was a real. It was a real. This crow was going through a great period at this point. He had some real. And they are. Um, they are good mates uh, by all yeah. accounts. They've kept. Yeah, sorry, you can imagine that. They they've uh, kept it up. Uh, yeah, crow was going, but as well, we we spoke about it. I think uh, in the very disappointing kind of dog shit uh, that yeah, was true uh, history of the Kelly gang true history of the Kelly gang that just uh, Crow has star power and then some like he yeah. arrives on screen and you just go ah there's a movie star but you know what the funny thing is about this film it's so well cast that everybody works nobody annoyed me but is that I mean this is typical like looking back at stuff like the bounty it's just you hire a lot of good English actors and throw them in and they're great at this type of you could this is so easy to cast it feels like to 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 do a good job of this type of thing of like british navy you just get a selection of like uk actors and chuck them in and they're like okay go they were built for this that said i don't know i think the roles are particularly well picked this time it's easier to cast this than picnic at hanging rock yeah 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 i would agree with that for sure yeah that that's a good point. Um, and actually, to be fair, if it's as you say that like the actors were so bad in Hanging Rock that they had to dub in, they did a good job of it. Fair play to them. I'll give them credit on that. Like it works. But like here, there are some member. Like, do you know it's a little? You know it's a little cast member I love. You know the cook who is kind of the only guy who sounds off to Russell Crowe. He's always complaining, <laughs> which yeah, I loved. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was very funny. Oh, but yeah, like the action scenes. Oh, is that, that's uh, Killick, isn't it? Is that David David Throwfall? Who's that? Well, the actor is the guy from Shameless. The guy who plays Frank uh, Frank Gallagher in Shameless. The main what? Yeah. What's his he name was, again? Uh, Killick. He's Killick in this. His name's uh, the actor is called David Threlfall. He was Martin Bloor in uh, Hot Fuzz. Bloor's the one who's the actor at the start of Hot Fuzz, isn't he? He's the one who's in the car. He, he dies in the car accident. Well, no, he doesn't die in the car accident. He gets murdered and then it's covered up as a car accident. Oh my God. Car this guy's a fucking... Tra- traffic incident. This guy's a fucking chameleon. Because I watched... Yeah. I think I've watched every episode of Shameless. It was on when I was in university. What can I say? But I did not know, A, that he was in Hot Fuzz and B, that he was in this, a film I've seen about 10 yeah. times. Fair play. Yeah, he's, he is quality. He's a great actor. He's clearly a great actor because in and of itself, Frank Gallagher is a great performance. But I only watched the American one. Just kidding. I watched neither of them. <laughs> but I am aware of what it is. Yeah, no, I so liked um, when they finished off that episode with uh, Never Forget Where You're Coming From by Take That. It's the end of season four, season four finale. I have to trust you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, everyone fucking so you liked him. Yes, I did. I liked him as a character. I am um, also, for the second time, I think, uh, this week I watched The Making Of. I've seen it before. It's a good making of. It's on YouTube. It's one hour long. I recommend, uh, I, I genuinely, you should watch it. It's interesting. Oh, yeah. And as as I've, I'm sure I'll mention at some stage earlier in the intro, but uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock is on YouTube as well. The whole film? Yeah. Ah, at okay. least now. It's been on, the, it's been up for about a year, so it should still be up for a while. 
the making of like so they shot a lot of this in um the same water tank that was built for Titanic. Right. Um, and that's down near like San Diego or somewhere or like off yeah, the coast yeah, yeah. of Mexico that's right. or like Baja, Baja California. But they also shot bits of it on the open sea. And the interesting thing is it's the bits that you would think are shot at the open sea, like the the grandiose shots of Russell Crowe and the crow's nest and things like that. Those were all, or when they're approaching the Galapagos, there's a lovely shot as well there. Those were all shot at the actual open sea, which... Um, yeah, I don't think, and but more like the and the interiors were all shot in on sound stages with the with the rooms, the sets on a on a gimbal, right? To create that lovely effect of the like rolling dolly with the low ceilings. Honestly, I would if you ever get the chance, like see this one on the big screen. It's one to be seen on the big screen. I it's saw real. it in the cinema originally when it came out. You see, you are missing out on the on though. People going back to see it again who know the best parts, so they're cheering like <laughs> fucking lunatic yeah, football yeah. fans. It's like when I went to see Predator a few years ago and everyone said all the words. Yeah. Would you have predicted that Master and Commander was a film with a Predator type fan base? Because it is, I can guarantee it. Yeah, no, I've, there's people are. I, I, I saw like Russell Crowe last year, someone wrote on Twitter, added him on Twitter and said, like, oh, I watched. Like, if you're having trouble sleeping, you should watch Master and Commander. It put me to sleep straight away. And he replied to this, like, random account, just nobody saying, like, uh, well, actually, it's like a, it's a visionary film. And, uh, you know, Peter Weir's a genius. It's one of the greatest films ever. And everyone was obviously, like, liking and retweeting him. Because he was, he was obviously mad keen to do sequels that just never... The yeah. film cost 150 million and, and it, it made only a profit. 200. It made a profit, but such a small profit considering yeah, 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 yeah. the cost of it and marketing and things like and that. And then Peter Weir made one other film that I've only seen once and he never he hasn't worked the again. He seems to he seems to yeah. be retired. Yeah, He's yeah. done. He's done. But they're making uh they're making a prequel to Master and Commander? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's going to be a TV show, I understand. Is that what it is? I I read that it was like uh last year they there was an idea for uh, a prequel film. A second film is in development with 20th Century Studios, a prequel based on the first novel only. Crow was always mad for yeah. it, though. Crow was the script um, is written by uh, Patrick Ness, Mister Mister P Ness. Ah, uh, Monster Calls, man. Yeah, yeah. Crow was always mad into it, um, and uh, I've heard him. I've heard him say in interviews before that it's one of his favorite films that he that he did. Well, that's he has done some like amazing films. He has, yeah. In terms of like this, sh- I'll just say it for my for me. This should be as iconic as Gladiator. It sh- I think it's got as good lines, probably not the iconic speeches, and it doesn't have a commodus. Fair enough, but in terms of like a historical vision and actually like making you time travel, I think it exceeds Gladiator. Quite frankly, I would rather watch this if I had the choice between the two of them. I prefer this to Gladiator. Not that everything has to be a competition. No, but, but I mean, was, I would in terms it. of Russell Crowe's career, like the general considered number one, I, was, I suppose yeah, would be Gladiator. People love Gladiator. They love it. I love Gladiator. I, I still love Gladiator, who but was I, pre- it who I prefer was this. was ragging on Gladiator that we were discussing? Someone was not a fan of it. They say he was like, oh, well, it was, uh, it was, what's his name? Robert Eggers, when he was talking about the Northman. Oh, yeah, no, that was, that's yeah, right. Yeah, Gladiator and Braveheart, yeah. wasn't it? He was having yeah. a go at which I can get both of his grievances, but not everybody has to do a fucking phone book w- w- worth of research. Like Gladiator mm. is t- 
for me, it's tremendous. And yeah, Braveheart I can get along with. I am aware that it's like, it's just, it might as well be a Lord of the Rings film for all the historical accuracy it has in terms of... it's accurate. I don't know what you're talking about. That's all false. Well, the results of the battles are pretty accurate. Um, (laughs) That's all we need to know, win, draw, or lose. Yeah, but it's just like, I think it's like a missed opportunity. But at the same time, no, it's not a missed opportunity because he wasn't making a film, he was making a Disney ride, basically. But them boys wouldn't have even worn kilts. I only found that out years later. Well, you should just watch the... Stuart Lee bit by Braveheart that does all that does all the heavy lifting of taking it apart. Oh right, I must I must check that out. Well, I'll, put, I'll put that in the show notes. That's a do classic, put that in the show a, notes. A classic routine. Do you want to take us through any uh, trivia with Master and uh, Comanche? Well, there's not much to say about Russell Crowe. We've talked about him before. You remember his Marlon Brando song? I want to be like Marlon. Yes, Brando. I do. That's a classic. Paul Bettany. The first time I ever saw Paul Bettany was in uh, was in Sharp. Which is something that this reminds me of. Sharp. Yeah, the TV series like with um, Sean Bean as Private Never saw Shop. That. Never watched Sharp. It was they made them. It was like one of those things where it's like a series of mini series almost, and so it would be based on a different. It's a similar thing, like based on a series of books, historical events, and this character Sharp is in them. But anyway, no, no, unfamiliar. Paul Bettany was in Sharp's Waterloo in 1997, playing William of Orange. And I remember then he like he really stood out, and that was very early in his career. That was like one of the first things that he did. His brother died when Paul Benny was sixteen, and his brother was eight. His brother fell off the fell off of a roof and died, and so Paul dropped out of school and became a busker. He started playing guitar in the streets, age sixteen, for a couple of years, and then he eventually went to drama school and and made it as an actor. But he's had a, a very traumatic life, and then of course he married Jennifer. Yeah, he's had a tough life. Did he remain married to Jennifer Connolly? Yeah, they're still married. They've got two kids. His oldest kid is like 19 or something, which is scary because I remember when that kid was born because the kid's called Stellan, named after Stellan Skarsgård. Wait, were they, did they, they co-star? Yeah, they were in Dogville together. Oh, yeah, I think that's around right. the time when the kid was born. And a friendship which again, is blossomed. scary because I remember that. Well, apparently so. Everyone loves Stellan Skarsgård and his offspring. Yes, they do. All right, who else you got? I uh, Chris Larkin, who played Captain Howard. He's uh he's the son of uh, Maggie Smith and Sir Robert Stevens. He's a legendary actor. He's, so he's from like an acting dynasty. But he changed his surname to Larkin because he was he took uh, the surname from Philip Larkin, the poet, because mm. he didn't want to trade on his family name. Nice, much like Nicolas Cage. That's right. He's very very much the English Nicolas Cage. That's why he introduces himself. But his brother's an actor as well, Toby Stevens, who did keep the name. He was in Die Another Day. He was Gustav Graves in Die Another Day. Gustav Graves. I remember Gustav Graves. Was he Graves. the baddie? Was he the baddie? The, in he's, the, he's the baddie, but he's also a, a Korean guy with a North Korean guy with a face yeah. transplant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Legend. So he's quality. Basically. Yeah, yeah. That's all we have to know about him. Uh, Max Bennett. Max Bennett. He played Calamy, the young kid who dies. He yeah. did work experience at the Spectator magazine. Mm. Uh, he just for a couple of weeks he was working as like a filing clerk, and then when the film came out, the editor of the magazine of the the Spectator praised him for his saying for his his acting and his hard work. The 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 editor of the Spectator at the time, Boris Johnson, 
Nice. And then and then Max Bennett, he went to Edinburgh University. He became a journalist. Uh, he quit acting. The last film he was in was The Water Diviner in 2014, which was directed ah, by Russell Crowe. With his old mate Russell Crowe. Yeah, so oh, Russell Crowe's brought him back and said, I want this guy in my film about the First World War. About have you ever seen um, Have you ever seen The Water Diviner? No, I was actually looking it up at some point when I was going through my Anzac First World War that theater stuff that I was looking at at some point. I look, I had a look at the War Diviner. I heard it was eh, meh. Yeah, I've like I looked up a little bit about the story it's based on. It sounds insane. Mm. It sounds like an yeah. insane movie. Mm. But then anyway, Max Bennett, he went on to have a kid with Olga Kurilenko. Nice. Yeah, she was in Black Widow. She was Taskmaster in Black Widow, remember? Yeah, that? but she was also Bond girl in um Yeah. Uh, the Quantum of Solace. Right. She's a so, yeah. she's an attractive lady. She's child. a she is a good looking lady. And they're not married. So, you know. Oh well fucking fuck that still then. Available. Fuck that. Next up <laughs> next up is young young Max Perkis. I'm gonna Lord get Blakeney. in contact with Satan and get him to clear some space down there because <laughs> yeah, they're both gonna burn in, in hell. Yeah, next up is Max Perkis, who played Lord Blakeney. He was cast out of Eton. He he was a, a, of young, course just, he a was. Young, just a young boy schooled <laughs> at yeah, Eton. The uh, the most prestigious uh Public school. school in England. And then, uh, yeah, he went on to... So he, he hasn't done much acting either. He went on to play Gaius Octavius in uh, HBO's Rome. Yeah, I remember and, him in uh, that. Do you? I never watched Rome. I'd like to. It's good. It's, it's, it's good. It's on the list, but it's just too much. It's too much. I can't, I, I'll watch any HBO show, but... It's relatively accurate as well. It's quite short as well, right? It's only two seasons. Two, only two seasons, 10 episodes each. can do that. Anyway, Max Perkis now, he's quite acting. Now he's the head of acquisitions and distribution at Embankment Films, responsible for such films as The Father. I don't know that film. Yeah, you do. The one with uh, Sophie from Peep Show and uh, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, yeah, I, I watched that film. Some kind of senile dementia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair play. It won some Oscars, didn't it? Yeah. So good old Max Perkis involved in that, maybe. Who knows? We've talked about David Threlfall already, who's Frank Gallagher from Shameless. Billy Boyd is in it from off of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Pippin. I don't know if we t- I talked about this before, but my one of my parents' neighbors, their next door neighbors, he was a film director and he made a film starring Billy Boyd. Is that it? A short film. A short film called Sniper 470, where I think Billy Boyd masturbates in space. Really? Yeah. It was about 20 minutes long, I think. Have you seen it? I flicked through it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know you did. An old monster's Sorry. ball flick through, I'd say. <laughs> it wasn't good. Hey, was a, <laughs> the guy listens to it. It was great. I think it's great. It was the best film ever. But off the record, it wasn't for me. Sorry. Last up is one for you. Is Patrick Gallagher, who played uh, Awkward, Awkward Davies. Abel Seaman, Awkward Davies. Uh, he is the actor who portrayed Cotton Khan in Ghost of Tsushima. Ah, right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed a guy who had a sort of uh, large kind of uh, Chinese, <laughs> Irish, I, no, half no, Irish, I do half know Chinese who you're talking face. about in the game. I <laughs> yes. do know. I'm, I'm going to play this game. Yeah, he's the in about, in about ten the, minutes. Provided, yeah, 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 we, so. yeah, do, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know who you're talking about. That's I, I'm looking at the, the picture game. now, and I I get it, yeah, but I I definitely guy. did not spot it. Same guy, huh? Old Paddy Gallagher's great game, by the way. Uh, like for people who are game orientated, like me, who like uh, 
good stories and relatively easy action, even though I've opted to... Japanese guys killing Mongols. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. I like it a lot. I mean, I enjoy that game a lot. Yeah, so that's the cast. There's a bunch of other people. There's just a lot of, like, working British actors, solid faces you recognize. You're like, ah, he was in Coronation Street for 10 years. Patrick Gallagher, hold on. I got to go to his Wikipedia. I think I recognize him from something. Uh, um, I he think was he's in, in Sideways. He's in Sideways. He's Gary the bartender. Is he in Sideways? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, no, no, that's he's the. In, he's in yeah. Night to the Museum, playing Attila the Hun. Yeah, no, he's, I have does it a here. lot of Hun-based things. Hun, he, he, he was in Captain Marvel. He was in Downsizing as well as drunk right, guy so at the bar. He's obviously my how the mighty uh, my how the mighty fell between Sideways and Downsizing from bartender to drunk guy at the bar, huh? There you go. But nice. I mean, so he's obviously Alexander Payne likes him though. Hmm. He continues to cast him. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyway, uh, you got something to say about the story of this one? Yeah, it's a bunch of guys. They're on a boat. Just having fun. Guys having fun. What's wrong guys with that? Guys on a boat. Yeah. Can't even, you're not even allowed to do that anymore. Can't <laughs> even just go after a French privateer anymore around the Galapagos Islands. The Acheron. Um, yeah. That was the. No, it's like, Ac- Acheron. You, you don't give it the French pronunciation. The one. Uh, so the, there's Such one part Acheron. in that. Like, like there's one part in the film which I bet it killed uh, Peter Weir to include is when they explain what a privateer is. It's the only yeah, part that. Yeah, see, that's, that's what I liked about it is this is like the typical kind of competence porn of people doing their jobs correctly and you don't need to be told what anything means like the larboard is the is the old word for port yeah yeah and stuff yeah, yeah. like that we don't need to be told that or we don't need to be we there's i watched it with subtitles on as always and there's just some there's so much terminology to stuff where i'm like i don't know what that means but you're going to show me anyway so it doesn't matter but you see this is the thing. This is the and I, and I like not knowing what it means. The complaint that people always have about the books is there's too much jargon. But here's the thing: is I remember when um, I first read, for example, Train Spotting, Irvin Welsh's Train Spotting. Like that's all written right. in phonetic Scottish, and yeah. I kind of realized. Like after the first page, I knew what was going on and I was like, okay, this will get good to me eventually. I'll just get going with it. And I think it's this same sort of mentality that I enjoyed Patrick O'Brien's book. I've only read the first one. I do plan on reading more of them. Um, But I did really enjoy it. But it's so much jargon, like knots and ropes and sails and stuff like that. But that's fine because eventually you can, maybe you will take it in. I don't know if you do or don't. Like in the film... It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. They, because they show you. They will show you everything. It's show, don't tell. Mm. Or it's show and tell at the same time. But they don't like, explain why it is. They just use the terminology. But at least you see what's happening in this. Like, I used the word gimbal in this podcast earlier. Um, and it probably took me fucking 10 years of listening to podcasts about movies to understand what the fuck a gimbal is. But eventually, <laughs> I know now, you know what I mean? I know um, what a gimbal is because I have one. Good for you, buddy. I got, I got like a, I got a gimbal for a mobile a phone. phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got a phone one. They're cool. They're cool. Yeah, they are. It's good to keep. You can move around and the, the camera stays stationary. So anyway. It rolls on an axis anyway. Is this the first time you saw this film since the cinema? Pro, I don't know. No, I probably saw it like by ages ago, more than 10 years ago, I would say it was the last time. And do you think this rewatch alongside my, you know, enthusiasm for the film would prompt you to maybe say, yeah, I'll watch a bit of this if you were passing it on a streaming service again. Like, did you have as much fun with no, it as it, I it, regularly it's, do? It is. It's an enjoyable thing to just 
especially the 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 final sequences with the big you know when they do their their sneak attack type plan on the French. Oh, with the whaler when they pretend to be a whaler, yeah, yeah. Like that, all of that sequence is excellent. That's and it was very moving towards the end when uh, Calamy dies. I find mm. that very moving, and uh, the young boys sing over him, and he's like, "No, I'll do it." But then he immediately goes like, "All right, I've only got one arm. You're gonna have to help me sew here." Yeah, and then he but gets. It's, it's he, great fun. It's great fun. He takes over the 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 boat, and I love how like class immediately means authority. Like he he he's like, "Hey, fucking do what I tell you to do." Like you know, in the preparation for the battle and stuff, it's pretty cool. Yeah, he's doing it properly. He's great. Anyway, so the story: Jack Aubrey, captain of the HMS Surprise, with his best friend and lover. Stephen Maturin. Catalan. Paul Bettany. Matulin. Matron. Matron. The surgeon. The doctor. They're together on the HMS Surprise and they're going after... I mean, it's almost immediately. Have they been sent to intercept this other boat, the Acheron, the French boat? They're seeking it out, but the way it would have worked at this... And they get ambushed. Well, it's completely... One thing I will say, uh, just to give a little historical dexterity on our part, um, the idea that the... the idea that it was ever at risk, the idea of the French taking over the seas from the British is, that's a complete fiction. Like, um, But they wanted to, you know, they had to keep Yeah, but they never, they never stood a chance, really. Like, um, uh, they had a couple of years previous to when this film is set, had their, uh, well, more than a couple, but anyway, they had their fleet completely just eviscerated at Trafalgar by Lord Nelson, who's um, right, and Nelson is yeah, Nelson is mentioned a few. He's times. a heavy presence uh, in the film, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, like the idea of it is not really real, but the setting is, and yeah, it's you're straight into the action in this because it's, oh hell yeah, uh, almost immediately this the privateer comes up and uh, and you get a character moment straight away because the guy fumbles the ball, he doesn't know did he spot it or not, Hollum, yeah. Um, uh, like that's straight away a character moment, and then you're you because it takes a couple of minutes until you're introduced to Russell Crowe. It's until they've they've been called up. They call up all the the guys onto the deck or people at like battle stations. What's that called again? Beating the beat the something. Can't remember. Embarrassed anyway, that I don't again. It's like specific terminology for it, and yeah. So it's only at that point that you're introduced to Russell Crowe, and you're not introduced to the surgeon until. Like the end of the battle, basically, when he's treating. Yeah, patients. yeah, when he's treating so people. The two, the the two ship, stars yeah. are not, you don't see them straight away. There's a lot, there's a bit of lead up to it. But yeah, so surprise, uh, the HMS surprise has a, a nasty encounter with this French privateer, and then eventually they manage to escape into fog. Which I'm pretty sure the HMS surprise is actually Nelson's real ship. I'm going to look it up right now. No, that wasn't that HMS victory. I'm just going to allow me. It's in Portsmouth. It's that giant. Yeah, the, it is. I've been to that. It's HMS Victory. You've been. You've seen that. Oh, I'd love mm-hmm. to do yeah, that. I've been on. I've been on it a couple of times. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to do that. Is it good? It's. Uh, it's dark. I mean, it's a typical. It's. Yeah. I mean, it, you'd love it. It's like being <laughs> like the ship from this. It's a similar thing. You're just walking around it. Oh, I'd love to do that. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah. So uh, the HMS Surprise escapes, and then they realize that uh, they're going to have a. a huge fight on their hands and you get the sense that Aubrey is I mean later on he's called out by his surgeon friend for that he's taking it as like a personal slight he has he's he's never lost before so he has to go after this Asheron even though it's like a 
a massive frigate that could smash them into pieces. So they get the they they refit the ship, they fix the sail and fix because they have various holes. Although that seems like a mental thing as well, doing repairs. I yeah, remember when it's watching great, isn't it? watching watching the terror that TV series of just the sense when they're kind of you know up and up near the frozen north parts of Canada. And they're, you know, like they're so far away from everything and they have to, try, you know, have to fix things on the ship. It just seems insane. It almost seems like fixing a plane when you're midair. Yeah. The terror is great for that uh, big world feeling that I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Just the fact that like if you're in the Antarctic 150 years ago, you are on another planet. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake. It's the same feeling like as the boys in 1969. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one major thing that happens is that Blakeney, the young boy, Lord Blakeney, he has his arm amputated. Because it's broken. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look too bad, but uh, they have to amputate it or he's going to die. But he's fine. He doesn't mind. They give him some laudanum, bites down on something. No worries. It's all good. Yeah, they used to do that a lot uh, f- uh, to avoid uh, the risk of gangrene. They just cut off your limb. <laughs> Always reminds me of that great family guy joke where the horse is trying to pretend his leg is fine and the farmer's just standing there with a <laughs> shotgun. He's going, you sure? Are you sure you're all right? They get ambushed by the Asheron again, but uh, this time they use, this is their first little cunning plan. They stick a little raft with lamps on it and turn off all the, they put out all the lamps on their boat. And then they pull in the young boy. Who is it that goes out? Is that Calamy? Yes. Yeah, who goes out on that little raft and then gets pulled back in and then they manage to escape. You, it's, All of that's great where you see them, where you see the two huge boats and you see the distance between them and there's fog or there's dark and they have to, you, you know, you can see how they like maneuver away from each other and escape or pursue. I love the distance shots where you see how tall the ships are. By comparison to the living quarters, yeah. and you just get a like I've been on ships like this a couple of times, one in Ireland, one in uh, Boston, and you just get a picture of like I mean the, how people made it work. They just made it work. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, oh well, we need to be able to patrol the seas like we're on an army tank, and for that yeah. we need super tall masts and. Mm-hmm. We, People who are nothing less than fucking experts and all courageous. You could not have anybody who's anything less than a cowboy on a ship. Like somebody who's just got courage burning out their arse. Like there's a scene in this where they're going around the Cape of Good Hope where a guy is drowning in the sea. And from what we've seen from this film so far, you've got to think that that guy's probably all right with his lot. (laughs) He's like, yeah, man. (laughs) what I got in for, I suppose. Yeah, that's the next scene where they, they go around Cape Horn. Cape Horn, sorry. And Cape, yeah, it's not Good the, Hope not is Africa. One, the other one, yeah, yeah, yeah. They go around Cape Horn. And again, which we I, we saw that in the Bounty as well, right? Yes, that's right. Was that the same right. one? Was it Cape Horn? Yeah. And, or, or was that Cape of Good Hope? I can't remember which one. Or was no, 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 it's, uh, it's Cape, it Cape Horn. Cape Horn, it's the same. They're going the yeah, opposite direction. weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy, crazy weather, which puts a ma- massive stress on the boat which uh, results in one guy going overboard and then eventually they have to cut the ropes and and let him drown. And it's just, it is what it is. But the one person who gets blamed for it is... Hollum. Hollum. Midshipman Hollum, who's, uh, they claim that he's a Jonah 
and that he's cursed and that he's bringing bad luck to the boat. He has that one moment where, because he's an officer and then all the guys are kind of turning against him and then guy shoulders walking him. along the deck, he gets barged and he doesn't say anything. He's so mild-mannered he because he has that other moment before where, or is it later, where he's going, he's on the, he's like... uh in the quarters and everyone's just kind of saluting him but looking at him in this evil way and he has a huge panic attack what's great in that scene where um he gets shouldered is uh credit where it's due it's a uh, russell crowe's reaction like you just see as opposed to his his you there his flimsy authority hollum's flimsy yeah. idea on it like russell crowe even though he c- he's a much harder man than this guy and he can probably <laughs> like he's probably able to spot well, that guy could have you in a fight easily, but he knows he knows the way shit works. And just in a second, he goes, uh, "You there, quarters now." Yeah, and that guy gets uh, he gets twelve lashes. Mm. But then uh, Hollum doesn't take it too well because he he feels he's cursed. He thinks everyone says he's cursed, and he agrees with them. So he picks up a cannonball mm. and does an old uh, cannonball right in side. front of his mate. Yeah. <laughs> Very sensitive there, Andy. <laughs> That's what he uh, says. Yeah, um, beautiful shot of him disappearing beneath the tide. Yeah, uh, as yeah. well. But yeah, but that's it. As soon as he as soon as he dies, because they they've been kind of stuck without wind. It's super because after they've had the, the the terrible weather when they were going around the Cape, then the wind went away and it was incredibly hot. And they're all like, ah, oh, there's the the weather's you know it's we're, we're everything's cursed. It's because of this Jonah. And then as soon as he kills himself, the wind comes back. So he was right. Yeah, yeah. He, made the he was a Jonah. Choice. Yeah, he was right. He was... What a prick! And then next up, Captain Howard. They're they're next. They're sailing, and there's an albatross flying around all over the deck. And for some reason, uh, one of the officers, Captain Howard, decides that he's going to shoot this uh, this albatross. I thought that's bad luck, isn't it? You're not supposed to kill an albatross. Uh, yeah. Is that not I've like a whole thing? Is it, what about the rhyme of the ancient mariner and all that, right? I thought you're not, you're not supposed to kill an albatross. Anyway. I Captain have heard Howard that. tries to shoot the albatross, but instead he shoots uh, the surgeon, Stephen Maturin, Maturin. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, Bettany. He hits Bettany straight on. And then Bettany's got the, uh, the classic thing where there's a bit of, uh, there's a bit of clothing uh, alongside the bullet inside the wound. They take him to the Galapagos Islands, and then he he performs surgery on himself. Yeah, which to get the bullet out. Features in a book, I understand. Yeah, but and also while they're on the Galapagos Islands, uh, they all they see all all kinds of uh, exciting animal flora and fauna, mainly fauna. They see uh, a flightless cormorant and some big lizardy creatures that can swim. They kind of see a dodo. I think it's is it's that imp- what it's supposed to be. It's a, I think Dodos it's supposed to be a Dodo, yeah. Dodos didn't live in the Galapagos, did they? Uh, no, but I think the flightless it's... Car- the flightless cormorant is a real thing. It's also known as the Galapagos cormorant. Okay, well, then I'm just an idiot. So it's your, it's, I mean, maybe it's similar to a Dodo, but this is a real thing. It exists. I am a moron. Because Dodos lived in Madagascar or something? I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this is a real thing, so can check that out. Yeah, no, sorry. Dodo's lived in Mauritius and also Madagascar. No, no, sorry, just only Mauritius. Yeah, east of Madagascar. So while the doctor's trying to catch this flightless cormorant on the other side of the island, he he spots none other than the Acheron, the French boat. The Acheron. And so 
the Acheron, and then they they leave all of the uh, all the animals that they collected. They let them go because they have to rush back to the boat. And this is when they do their cunning surprise attack. They pretend that they're a whaling ship, an English whaling ship. And then when they come up on the side of the Asheron, they uh, they start firing there. They let rip with the cannons and shoot down the main sail, the mast, which falls off. And then you get into a brutal battle with cannonballs flying and uh, they board the boat. There's all kinds of sword play, gun play, horse play. They have, they have, they have all kinds of fun. It's uh yeah, that's a great scene. All of yeah, that yeah. that sequence is insane. Or hand to hand combat. And then finally uh Aubrey uh goes into the the French doctors, uh like the French infirmary and sees that the French captain is dead on the table and the doctor says, Here, here the captain wanted you to have his sword. And the he's thinking, Man, this doctor is a nice guy. I respect this yeah, doctor. He's good English. He yeah. seems this guy he seems like a very trustworthy young doctor. He seems like but- a guy. But then it's revealed. Well, I so I mean they they sail away. Everything's good. The Asheron's going away. They've they've claimed this French boat, and then uh, they're basic. They're going to go back and meet. They're going to meet up in Portsmouth. I think is what he says. Yeah. But then it's revealed that the doctor actually died six months ago. So it was the captain, the evil French captain. Son of a had bitch. Dressed up. He he's such a coward. That he dressed up as a doctor and escaped. Oh, let me pretend to be the doctor. I do not want to go into custody with uh, this man, Captain Atawan. So that's why. Uh, so then Aubrey decides, okay, well, change of plans. Let's pursue this boat in a, a sequel that never happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God ride, damn. Is it not one of those sunset. movies, though? Like, like, if they kept up like the sort of tone and the pace... Could you not watch a six-hour version of this? Like it's it's so yeah, fun. Make a good series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's Absolutely. like it's like the like we were saying when we watched the the Jack Reacher TV series. Yeah, um, like totally. You could just do totally. one of each book. Like you can make a, a whatever eight ten part series of each book. Which also I've gonna I'm gonna start watching the Terminal List because I've heard that's on Amazon. I've heard that that's very much in the dad dad TV. Uh, Reacher, I've been uh, Bosch, etc., etc. I've heard. It's I haven't watched it court. yet, but I read the book and I, I wasn't too pleased with the book. But if you're gonna yeah, watch it, I'll watch it too. I'll Fuck watch it. It's got old uh, Chrissy Pratt's. I, well, maybe we could do that for next week then. How about that? Rather than a film, we just watch the Terminal List. Uh, I'm alright with that, to be honest. Yeah, that we could like like just like Reacher. Then I have have a reason to sit and watch the entire series. It's only six episodes. Is that all? I thought mm. it seemed to be more than that. Yeah, we should do that then in, in lieu of a film for next time, right? All right, no film next time, but then the week after that, the we're going to have to... back to tossing. Yeah, and you know what? It's going to be Asian no matter what. Is that correct? It is, 100%, all the way. Because you chose first. What did you go for? Uh, I went for a film by uh, the director... Well, I've only seen one of his other movies, but I loved it. He directed, uh, he's a Chinese man, directed a film called, uh, uh, which I reviewed for an Irish magazine called A Touch of Sin, which I absolutely loved. Um, And I want to watch a a film he followed it up with, um, second after it. Um, Guy's name is Jia Zhang Ke, and uh, the film's called Ash. This doesn't win just for the pronunciation of names. Yeah, right. And the film is called Ash is the Purest White. Which is a sequel to Blue is the Warmest Color, correct? 
That's correct. Yes, um, oh, and the and a, featuring men. Yeah, exactly. He, the, this Chinese director, he wanted to get his own back on men after that guy <laughs> made sexy abuse on those hot lady actresses and made them right. do sexy things. He's like, no, nah, not on my watch. So apparently, it's full of guy fucking. Great. <laughs> Which I think we could use more of in this podcast, to be honest. Why not? So I also went for something Asian. I went for a film which you've definitely seen. I just never got around to it. And why not watch something Oscar winning? I went for old Parasite. You haven't seen Parasite? Nope. So you're only now deciding to be not to be racist? You're racist until this moment. I'm glad you're not racist anymore. Uh, Yeah, cool. I'm Uh, not racist. And when I watch it, that's when I'll cure myself. I'm going to be honest with you. I would, I hope you win. Uh, okay. I, would, I would rather rewatch Parasite than see something difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's not difficult, it's just Chinese. Yeah, well, no, Parasite's a lot of fun. That's what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, good. All right, fair play. It's fun. It's actually fun, is it? Oh, it's so much fun, yeah. Okay, well, would you like heads or tails? What do you got? Uh, heads or tails? Uh, tails, yeah. I suppose. Okay. It is heads. Oh, what? Son of a bitch. I'm sorry. All right, well, I guess we're watching a super Heads, arty Chinese movie. Even though, no, the other film I saw... No, no, him, what? You, you, you lost. I lost? Yeah. Oh, right, I calculated that wrong. You That's tails. excellent news. Yes, I did say <laughs> tails. Uh, that is Heads. calculated that wrong, like knew the wrong thing is my version of calculating <laughs> something wrong. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's great. So awesome. Uh, what well, could I have won? Here's, yeah, what you would have won uh, based on our watching of Everything Everywhere All at Once and the Wong Kar Wai uh, feel to some of the scenes. I was going to go for 2046 because I want to watch that Wong Kar Wai film. Ah, and you yeah, know yeah. Hong Kong, that's China, famously, so... <clears throat> it never, never wasn't China, so that was why I went for that. But we're not watching that. So if you, if you're bringing to the table this uh, latter day Korean masterpiece, I'll bring one that I haven't seen. I don't know. Have you seen um, Park Chun Wook's The Handmaiden? He directed uh, no. Stoker, I think, also, and the Vengeance yeah, trilogy. Th- yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I think you put this up for a toss at some point. The Handmaiden. Oh, really? Okay. It's supposed to be very ago, sexy. Yeah, so that's fine. Yeah, yeah. We'll throw so if you don't mind like wanking yourself silly on your sofa, <laughs> this might be the film for you. Great. No, apparently it is very that's sexy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, fuckers, um, we're going all Asian next week as opposed to... Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I figure it's about time considering we celebrated yeah, the conquest. Of the- after, after everything, everywhere, all at once, we're just trying to keep it Asian. But yeah, next but that- time we're going to be watching the Terminal List. The term. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next season, next week will be the terminal list. We're gonna digest like six hours of that. Uh, I've read the book. Andy hasn't. I'll frankly be surprised if it's good, (laughs) but we'll see. Well, the audiences like it, and critics are been have been scathing. That's why I think it is actually going to be good. Oh, I hope it is uh, because, like, I've loved Jack Ryan and I've loved Jack Reacher. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. So it's in. And the the author of this book is called Jack Carr. How can it go wrong? There we go. Well, we'll find out. Okay, well, uh, we'll find out next week. Um, For now, I love you. Bye. 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 Bye.